Tonight on Huckabee, Arkansas Senator John Bozeman, Evangelist Franklin Graham, loud and country comedian Bone Hampton, plus jazz and pop singer Mandy Harvey. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everybody. By the way, do you like this tie for St. Patty's oh, Day? Oh, it's great. Huh? Nice. You know, it's coming up this week, so this is one of those ties. When I used to wear it, a guy would come up to me and he'd say, hmm, I used to have a tie that didn't go with anything either. Really hurt my feelings. <laughs> but once a year, I can put this thing on. And the good thing is, Keith can find me backstage when all the lights are off. So oh, yeah. it's really good it's for that. Well, we're thrilled that you're here, and we've got a great show lined up for you. Now, let me just uh, say tonight that for those of us for whom the sanctity of life issue is an absolute and a non-negotiable, it is stunning, if not comical, to see a group calling itself pro-life evangelicals for Biden act shocked that now President Biden is proudly the most radical pro-abortion president in history, and frankly, more than any other leader in any other country which that's a little weird. The fact that these never-Trump evangelicals seem surprised either attest to their extraordinary political naivete or their utter cluelessness as to everything Joe Biden promised to do, not just to advance a radical abortion policy, but to do something not even President Obama did, and that's push for, and that's to force taxpayers, you, to fund abortions up until the moment of birth. No president has ever pushed for that. The rationale given for these so-called pro-life believers to support Joe Biden was because they didn't approve of Donald Trump's tone or his tweets. Hey, most of us in the mainstream of evangelical life never defended tweets that were harmful or attacks on individuals, but we recognize that President Trump turned out to be by far the most pro-life president in all of American history. No one else has even been close. And all that he did to faithfully and forcefully support life was reversed by Joe Biden on his first day in office. Now the pro-life evangelicals for Biden say they feel used and betrayed, and that they were promised that if they helped elect Biden, there would be dialogue on this and other issues. Now they admit they can't even get a meeting with low-level staffers, and they watch helplessly as the Biden administration pushing for the most disgusting measures of abortion. President Biden had at least historically favored the Hyde Amendment. That prohibited the use of taxpayer funds for abortion. But from the early days of the campaign, Joe Biden reversed his position and openly said he would repeal the Hyde Amendment. He promised to give Planned Parenthood full funding, 
and he said that he would reverse the Mexico City policy. That policy was what prohibited your tax dollars from paying for abortions in other countries. Why would we be doing that anyway? So how's that support for Biden working out for you, folks? You gave him your support and helped elect him. He's not even given you the courtesy of a meeting. He just stuck it to you and didn't even send you a thank you card. Oh, you got used all right, but you weren't betrayed because Joe Biden was crystal clear in saying that he was going to open wide the doors for all the abortions that Planned Parenthood and the leftists are demanding. As the big fat porculus bill passed in the House, the evangelicals for Biden pretend they feel betrayed and they demand him to take out the abortion funding in the bill. Remember, this $1.9 trillion bill is supposed to be about COVID relief. But did you know that only 9% has a thing to do with COVID? It is a lard-loaded spending bill that doles out billions of dollars to Democrat-led cities and states that poorly manage their budgets. By the way, it's so ridiculous that it gives $1,400 checks to death row inmates and pedophiles. Those of us who supported President Trump never were dishonest about the fact that he was not one of us and his personality was often lacking in kindness or gentleness to those who attacked him or disagreed with him. But we appreciated that when it came to the sanctity of life, religious liberty, our support for Israel, he kept his promises and he acted on them. Now, if my brothers and sisters, if my brothers and sisters who helped elect Joe Biden feel betrayed and used, maybe they should repent for what they have done to unborn children and begin to use their voices to denounce the deceptions they experienced. And next time, don't be so lacking in self-awareness. Joe Biden didn't keep any of his promises to you but he sure kept his promises to the radical left because that's what he said he would do. Let's all use our voices to loudly condemn the use of our tax dollars to kill babies. Surely that's an issue that can unite evangelicals, Catholics, even feminists. Why not? Joe Biden signed the nearly $2 trillion COVID relief package this week, and it gives many Americans $1,400 checks and billions to pet projects for Democrat-run cities and states. In fact, only 9% of the total amount has anything to do with COVID. And while Democrats are throwing money around like someone who just won a lottery, illegal immigrants are pouring in from the southern border. That is a crisis worsening by the day. Senator John Bozeman is the senior senator from my home state of Arkansas. And full disclosure, he's been a longtime personal friend. My daughter was his campaign manager when he defeated an incumbent senator 12 years ago. Prior to that, he served as congressman for the 3rd District of Arkansas, and he's just announced his re-election campaign. Senator John Bozeman is our honored guest. Senator, thank you so much for coming, and uh, it is good to see you. I want to get right underway with talking about uh, the Thursday night speech by President Biden. He didn't seem to uh, think very much of what Donald Trump had done to prepare for the vaccine, never gave him any credit. Was that disappointing to you in the light of his saying he wants unity? 
this bill was such that it was, uh, as you pointed out, $2 trillion. No Republican had any input at all. And that's why we're in the situation that we're in now, where the talk at the coffee shop is, how could every Democrat senator vote for uh, illegal immigrants to get checks? How could every Democrat senator vote uh, such that felons, people in jail, are getting checks? In regard to the speech, I was so disappointed. On Election Day, uh, a million people were vaccinated. Uh, prior to that, when the president announced it last May, that he was going to warp speed things and we would have a vaccine by the end of the year. Everybody laughed at him. So, again, we've done so many great things. And the economy now, uh, President Biden signed one bill into law. The economy now is, is starting to rock along. The resilience that we have now is a direct result of President Trump and Congress working together uh, to put us in this situation. You know, we talked about the fact that only 9% of this huge porkless bill ended up going to have anything to do with COVID, but that was the rationale upon which it was sold, that it's going to help us fight COVID. When I look at some of the provisions that farmers are going to be repaid, not 100% of the loans they have out, 120%, but only if they are either African-American or Hispanic or Asian. If they're white farmers, tough luck to them. John, that seems like true racism in the sense that people are excluded simply because of the race that they had nothing to do with. Well, it's, it's everyone, Mike. You mentioned a few categories, but it's Islanders, it's American Indians. It, it truly is everybody but white men and white women. And 120% of loan forgiveness, there's no, there's no cap on the amount of loan. There's no uh, looking at your financial, uh, you know, where you're at in regard to your success. Uh, you, it's so crazy, Mike. You could, you could be in a situation where you could have a loan that you got on December 28th. On having that loan on January 1st, it would be completely forgiven. If you just paid off your loan on December 20th, you'd get absolutely nothing. Mm. And so it's, it's not fair to the groups that it's even trying to help. It's so poorly written. And uh, it, it's not only does it not only it, it pays them or their bank. So some of them will get it directly and then they'll have the opportunity to decide if they want to pay their loan or not at that time. I, it's unbelievable. It, it is unbelievable. And I don't think a lot of Americans understood that that was one of the provisions in the $1.9 trillion. Uh, Senator, let's talk about the southern border. We have now thousands upon thousands of people pouring in the border some of them <laughs> brazenly wearing T-shirts that say, Biden, you invited me in. I, I mean, the Biden administration has yet to call this a crisis. They just say it's a challenge. Would you deem it a crisis with that many people coming across the border? Some of whom, by the way, have been tested positive for COVID but are still being let in. No, Mike, it's, it's definitely a, a crisis. I had the opportunity to be the uh, chairman of the Homeland Security Appropriation Subcommittee, the group that actually funds ICE and the Border Patrol. I've been on the border extensively and toured it. Uh, we've got so many great men and women down there working their hearts out to do their very best. And then all of a sudden, the Biden administration comes in. Uh, they change the policy such that, that you're free to flow across the border. Uh, this is inviting people, 100,000 last month, 
And those were the people that, that actually were apprehended and then, you know, the paperwork beginning. They say 39,000, but I suspect much higher than that actually were able to creep across the, the border unnoticed. So it is a true crisis. Many of these are, are uh, young people. Uh, they will literally put a note on them with an address of a relative or, or friend someplace in the United States and drop them off. Let's look ahead briefly to the 2022 elections. You're up for re-election. Uh, I don't think most people think it'll be uh, an overwhelmingly challenging race. You, you have such popularity within the state, and deservedly so. Uh, but across the board, do Republicans have a good chance of taking both the House and Senate because of the fact that Democrats have just overplayed their hand? No, I think, Mike, I think we've got an excellent chance that... that the country is center, I think, you know, maybe a little bit center right, certainly center. The policies that we're coming out, seeing coming out of Washington now are as far left as they're unimaginable for most Americans. As we've been talking about some of the things that have recently been passed, when you look at the last election and you see that, that we really had a great night except for the presidency. And so... Uh, Picking up seats in the House that nobody expected us to, I think, poised to, you know, to turn the corner in the next election cycle there. The Senate uh, did a great job of maintaining. We had problems in Georgia. I think that was a fluke. And so we've got an excellent chance, I think, of, of roaring back and taking over and really then having the ability to put the Biden administration, put President Biden, not so much him, but his advisors that are as far left as they can be, that are out of touch with the American public, put a check on that. And uh, we are in the process now of recruiting some great candidates throughout the country. And uh, I, I think we're going to be in, in good shape um, with the help of the American public. Well, everyone who knows you speaks of you as one of the nicest, most uh, cooperative guys in the U.S. Senate. Senator John Bozeman, I want to say thanks for your time tonight. Our audience can follow Senator Bozeman on Twitter, at John Bozeman. Also, go to bozemanforarkansas.com. Learn more about the senator and his re-election campaign. Now, to learn more about what we have coming up tonight, I'm going to let Keith Bilbrey take over for now. Well, up next, the Reverend Franklin Graham on the so-called Equality Act. Later, America's Got Talent finalist Mandy Harvey performs here on Huckabee. Just a few weeks ago, the United States Congress passed H.R. 5, also known as the Equality Act. My next guest says that name is just a smokescreen for a very dangerous agenda, an assault on religious liberty for all of us. So what does the so-called Equality Act actually do? And why in the world is it a threat to all people of faith in America? Joining us now to answer that question and uh, much more is the president and CEO of Samaritan's Purse, our friend Franklin Graham. Franklin, let's jump right into it. H.R. Mm -hmm. 5, the Equality Act. Now, equality sounds like something that we all ought to be for. What's wrong with this uh, Equality Act? Well, it's, it's the, the, the moral implications. And, and Governor, this is a government 
um, trying to uh, replace God. Mm. Uh, they're wanting to be the God in our life. Uh, they want to dictate the moral standards, what we believe and don't believe, and then punish us if we don't conform. Uh, the Equality Act um, would require female sports for a man who feels like he's a, um, uh, a woman, he could play in those sports. Uh, if, uh, if he could do that, then he can go into a women's locker room and uh, change his clothes and uh, watch uh, these young ladies. Uh, and this is just sick is, is what's getting ready to take place. And it, it's just, to me, uh, Governor, it comes out of the pits of hell. Uh, and it's so wrong. And I, I just think of just women who have worked so hard at sports uh, for, their, for their titles, for the, the, the records that they have set, that a guy could come in and break those records and take that away from them. Where, where's the women's movement? How come they're not up in arms uh, fighting this? It is so wrong. But for churches, uh, we would be required uh, to hire uh, people that would not necessarily agree with what we believe. Uh, can you imagine uh, the Democratic Party being forced to hire Republicans? Well, that would never happen. Or Republicans no. forced to hire Democrats. Uh, we would be forced to hire people who do not agree with us morally or scripturally. And government is now going to dictate uh, the moral standards of this country. And if we don't fight this, if, we, if, if Christians don't stand up and let their voices be heard to Congress, to the Senate, uh, to the president, I mean, the White House, you could flood the White House with two or three million letters. That would get the president's attention. Well, and I hope he does hear from millions of uh, Christian believers. Quite frankly, I would like to think that he would hear from people who aren't necessarily Christian, but believe that this is not about equality, but specifically how it could affect churches, church camps, Christian colleges. Uh, if, if there was a requirement that a boy, a biological boy, uh, not surgically altered, but just identified as female, would force, uh, mm -hmm. for example, to be housed in a woman's only dormitory on a college campus. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be very much against what a lot of churches would like to practice and believe to protect the modesty and the decency uh, uh, of the other gender. Well, uh, Governor, I've got uh, grandchildren. And um, I've got uh, one of my grandchildren uh, plays for one of the universities there in Nashville. Uh, and she's worked hard at her to get her position on a soccer team. Mm. And, uh, you know, a guy could come in saying, I'm a girl, and uh, he could outperform her and, and take that position. That she has worked hard all through high school uh, to get her experience and her expertise and to get a scholarship to this university. And that, that could all be taken away. This is so wrong, Governor, what they're wanting to do. And I just, um, I'm just afraid that uh, many Christians and many churches are asleep at this. But, but just think of the universities, uh, some of the great universities in this country, take liberty or whatever. Uh, if they don't uh, accept and conform, uh, they could uh, lose their accreditation. Uh, before we leave, I want to mention the death this week of uh, a wonderful evangelist, Louis Palau. Uh, your father and Louis Palau, very close associates, and he worked with the Billy Graham organization for many years, passed away this week after a long battle with cancer at the age of 86. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell us about the impact of Louis Palau and how his relationship with your father was so important to both of them. 
Well, he was a young evangelist out of Argentina, and my father heard him and realized that this is a powerful preacher of the gospel, and uh, they became friends. Uh, my father helped him in setting up his organization, and uh, of course, he mirrored a lot of things from my father, uh, and I'm uh, glad he did. But Luis Palau uh, stood for truth, preached the gospel, and I'm so proud of Louis Palau. I went to see him just uh, about a year and a half ago. I'll miss him. Uh, the world's going to miss him. Uh, but the, the gospel has to go forth, Governor, and that's that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he took our sins to the cross and died for our sins, and that God raised him to life. And if we confess and repent and turn from our sins and believe by faith on the name of Jesus Christ, uh, we will be saved. We can be forgiven. And this gospel message, which he preached, my father preached, which I preached, which uh, I know, Governor, you have preached, we, we, we've got to continue to share this wonderful message of God's love and uh, what Christ did on the cross. It's the only hope we really have. Franklin Graham, thank you so yes, much. Sir. And for our audience, you can keep up with Franklin Graham on Twitter at Franklin underscore Graham. Also visit SamaritansPurse.org slash TBN. You can learn about the good work that they are doing all over the world for people who are truly in need. Now we have a lot more great things coming up on our show tonight. Keith Bilbrey is standing by. He'll tell you all about it. Well, the hilarious Bone Hampton's coming up next on Huckabee. Don't you go away. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Well, welcome back. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, my ship has sailed? Well, your ship hasn't sailed yet, but it will on October 24th because you can join me on a wonderful experience tracing the steps of Paul in the beautiful Mediterranean. If you have dreamed of seeing this stunning part of the world, but you'd like to do it while seeing the places where Christianity spread to the world, come with me. A luxurious ship, world-class Bible teaching and entertainment, and we've got the entire ship just for us. To sign up or get more information, go to thegreateststrip.com. Well, Bone Hampton's clean country comedy won him the Dove Award for Comedian of the Year. Let me tell you, you'll always walk away from his jokes feeling a whole lot better about life. Would you please welcome one of our absolute favorites around here, loud and country comedian, Bone Hampton. Hey, 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 hey! Good to be here, good to be here, good to be on TV to be myself. I've had some success before in television. I uh, did a movie with Sandra Bullock and Bradley Cooper called All About Steve, where I played a security guard. I did an episode of My Name is Earl, where I played a prison guard. And then I did an episode of Medium, where I played prisoner number two. Now, people always asking, how did you play a prison, a prison guard and prisoner number two? That's because I take my glasses off. See, when I take my glasses off, that makes me double-sided. See, like this, I could play a prison guard. Hey, Earl, you got to go to jail. 
take my glasses off. <laughs> Prisoner number two. <laughs> like this, I could play a pharmacist. Ha <laughs> ha, I give him a metformin. Drug dealer. <laughs> like this, I could get a bank loan. Yes, ha <laughs> ha. Rob a bank. <laughs> Just work with what I got. Work with me. People always asking me, like, how you doing in this corona? How is COVID affecting you? I'm like, I'm fine, but my finances caught COVID. I mean, my checking and savings lost all sense of taste and smell. They put my visa on a ventilator. They put a mask on my MasterCard. They got my savings all in quarantine. I can't touch none of that, none of that. Now, the thing is, I did eventually... Uh, I did eventually catch COVID, but they say it attacks your immune system, and I'm from Texas, and I got a rock gut, so the joke was on COVID. Because <laughs> in my quarantine room, COVID was sitting in the corner coughing. <laughs> what kind of immune system you got? I'm like, my immune system built on ham hocks, hog malls, and hot water cornbread. Now, I'm trying to work on eating better. I love Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is my spot. I'm like, Chick-fil-A, the thing is, it would just be so great to eat it on Sundays. <laughs> you know, I'm like, but I get it. I see why they close, but I'm like, man, y'all can't get no seven-day Adventist <laughs> to work on Sundays for you. <laughs> I just want my sandwich. I want my sandwich. I love being here. I love being here with y'all. I feel like I done got close to you so I can be a little bit more real. Is that okay? Can I be a little bit more real with y'all? Okay. So here's the thing. I'm going through some new stuff in my life. Uh, I'm fat and I'm broke, which means I need to join the gym, but I can't afford to. So what I have to do is walk around my neighborhood to get my exercise. So I need to talk to all you dog lovers. Stop walking your dogs with no leash because I'm scared. And I'm tired of you looking at me like something wrong with me when I'm trying to protect myself. I'm out here trying to walk to burn off these calories so I can be a stud like Huckabee. <laughs> and all I see is your dog coming, running around the corner, running toward me free. And all I can do is try to defend myself the way I know how, the way my mama taught me. And all I can do is yell, get your dog! Get your dog! You better get your dog! <laughs> now, here you go looking at me crazy like something wrong with me. What's wrong with you? Why you tripping, big man? What? Oh, muffin don't bite. Muffin don't bite. Well, I don't know muffin don't bite. All I see is a chihuahua running toward me free. <laughs> it would be the same as if you saw me walking down the street with a gun and no bullets. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Why you tripping, big man? What? Oh, muffin don't bite. Muffin don't bite. And then you name your dogs wrong, too. Because the name's supposed to match your dog. 
I'm tired of coming to your house and you're like, hey, Bone, you want to meet Cupcake? Yeah, okay, I'll meet Cupcake. Cupcake is a werewolf! You should have named that dog Cujo! It's like meeting a white dude named Jamal. Oh, you Jamal. Oh, oh, hold on. Hey, put the Kool-Aid up. Put the Kool-Aid up. It's not what we thought. We need some iced tea. Hey, put that Popeye's chicken sandwich up. We need a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. Hey, that's my time. I'm Bone Hampton. Thank you. Uh, Bone, we love having you here. Man, you know I love being here with you, Governor Huck. You are funny guy. And, you know, your comedy is clean, and yes. that's one of the things that I love about you. You can play a comedy club, get laughs, but you can do a church gig. You can go anywhere because your comedy is never inappropriate. And that's what I salute you for, is making people laugh, not because they're embarrassed, but because you really do tell some funny stuff. Good for you. I would uh, like to take a lot more credit for it, but it's my mama. I'm scared she gonna pop up anywhere <laughs> and pop up on stage. Who told you to talk like that? Mama, how you get it? So, would she be upside your head? Upside my head. That's what my parents always said. They're gonna be upside my head. I wasn't sure exactly what that meant, but I knew it was not good. Exactly. Didn't want any part of that. Did you have trouble at first when you was going to the comedy clubs and starting your career that people said, Bone, you're gonna have to go a little more blue in order to be successful? You know what was the biggest thing? They told me, you don't have to tell people you're a Christian comic. Huh. And I had to tell them, well, I don't want people to be surprised when yeah. I say Jesus. Yeah. And so they was like, yeah, but you know, it's gonna put that stigma. <laughs> I'm like, I kinda like the Jesus stigma. So <laughs> that was the hardest part. It wasn't necessarily, uh, they was trying to get me to go blue. You've got a podcast uh, called Loud and Country. That's your motto. That's kind of a <laughs> unique one, Loud and Country. When I look at you, I don't necessarily see the country side. So where does this come from? Because when I say country, I don't mean like cowboy hat, boots, and wranglers. Okay. I mean like hot water cornbread, hot, 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 uh, <laughs> malls, and uh, so, six feet. Yeah, <laughs> rural, yeah. country in that yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. You've got a documentary, too, that's uh, all about you. It's not just you doing a routine, but what's the documentary about? So it's a producer in L.A. named Tracy Carter. She reached out and she said, I'm producing and I want to direct this documentary. I've watched you have success in secular, and I want to know why you keep going back to the church. Hmm. And I was like, I don't, I don't choose to go back to the church. She's like, no, you do. And I talked to all my comedy friends, and they was like, yeah, because I did... America's Got Talent, I did The View, My Name is Earl, and he's like, you have success that would move you up the mainstream uh, fence, but you keep coming back. And I'm like, well, I gotta get back to what my foundation was. And yeah. my foundation is always Jesus. And God told me when I was starting, he said, your career will always be just okay until you make it clear to people who I am mm. in your life. Well, you have done that. And I wanna say for all of us, Thank you for being true to who you are. Thank you. And it's great having you here. Got to get one in. My aunt, Trinnell, uh -huh. is watching you right now on her cast. She loves your show. And when I told her I was doing your show, 
That's the most excited she been. I said, I'm going to be sitting at the table with Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> and she said, I don't care. You mentioned me. Why don't you, you bring her to the show? We're going to bring her. You All hear right. that, Antoinette? I said, yes, bring her to the show. Bone, we love you. Thank you. Keith Bilbrey, tell our viewers how they can see more of the very funny Bone Hampton, please. Well, for updates on the upcoming release of Bone Hampton, Loud and Country, the documentary, plus his podcast, videos, and booking information, visit BoneHampton.com. Still ahead, civil rights pioneer Reverend Bill Owens and music from Mandy Harvey with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. You're watching Huckabee. things I love most about doing this show is the phenomenal music that is provided every week by Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Look, I know this is Nashville and there's great music on every street corner, but I'm telling you, you can go all over the city and you will not find a better bunch of musicians that do a phenomenal job like our own Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, and we love them and are glad to have them, always. Give them one more big hand, would you? Well, from his pioneering work in the 1960s civil rights movement to his current position as the founder and president of the Coalition of African American Pastors, my next guest has spent a lifetime working to uplift the black community. He's very disturbed by what he sees as the cynical exploitation of black Americans to advance the left's political agenda. He writes about it in his new book. It is a powerful book. I told him, I love this book. It is honest, and it's one you ought to get. It's called A Dream Derailed, How the Left Hijacked Civil Rights to Create a Permanent Underclass. It's a real honor for me to welcome a dear friend, Reverend William Owens. Great to have you here, Bill. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mike. When I was reading through your book, one of the things that I loved was that you go back through the history of the civil rights movement. When Dr. King was leading people to recognize that it's important to have equality, one of the things that he talked about was the dream of having people treated equally. Right. Not because of their skin, but in spite of it, that it had nothing to do with it. Right. Your book's called The Dream Derailed. What derailed that dream of Dr. King? Many people took that to mean that you give black people more welfare. Hmm. And that derailed the dream of uh, people working hard, doing what's right, growing, developing, getting an education for themselves. And that helped derail the dream. Hmm. The dream was that I grew up in the civil rights movement. I marched with Dr. King. Yeah. So the dream was that we had equal rights to excel. We didn't need pity. We didn't need anybody looking down on us. We needed to excel 
and work as hard as anybody else to, to realize the American dream. And that's what we did. You said in the book something that was kind of startling. You said we were making terrific progress, and then all of a sudden it was like we just quit making progress and started going backwards with a new level of everybody's a racist. Bill, do you think everybody basically is a racist and that white privilege is the number one problem that we face in our culture today? I don't today? think that. No, I don't think that. I well, what is the that. problem then? I think the problem is we don't expect some people to come up to great expectations, hmm. to work hard, to achieve as any American could achieve. And I think that's the problem, that we think that because some people think because we're black, we don't need to achieve. We don't need to come up to the standards of the American dream. Pat us on the head, let us get by. We don't need that, we don't want that. Hmm. You have been unapologetically a conservative, which kind of puts you out of the mainstream and of many of your peers. You, you've openly said in the book, and this is something I appreciated your candor, that you feel like that the Democrats as a party have hijacked the African-American community and kept them uh, really unfairly, almost locked them up. Uh, you use the uh, phrase from Maya Angelou's wonderful poem, Why the Caged Bird Sings. What do you mean by that? I mean that uh, some people have uh, felt we were not worthy, uh, we were not as good as, and we could not do as good as anybody else. And that's not true. Hmm. We can do anything anybody else can do. Yeah. We have the ability. And if you expect low expectations, that's what you get. Hmm. Well, I, I think one of the uh, powerful reminders in the book is that the civil rights movement started in the churches. Started it was a churches. spiritual, biblical movement. It was right. not a political it was movement. A spiritual, it was not political. It was a spiritual movement. You know, when I hear Dr. King's magnificent sermons, and I, in seminary, studied many of them, um, I, I'm kind of starkly reminded that he never wanted to be considered a civil rights activist. He always said, I'm a preacher. That's right. Unapologetically, he right. would say, I'm a preacher. We don't hear that very much He today. went to his religion. Yes. Not politics. He yeah. went to his religion, his belief in God. I, I want to also ask you about uh, a period of your life. You were just depressed, ready to kind of give up and, and say, there's no great purpose for me. God led you to start helping young people right. go to Christian colleges and you helped get them the resources to do it. What did that do for you? It helped me to deliver what God was in me, hmm. the, the spirit that was in me, to do good, help other people. We ended up putting 400 students in a Christian university. Wow. And, and, and when we started, I was led to get students that nobody else wanted. Hmm. And the spirit said, I'll give you students everybody wanted. Started with three students to 400. That's fantastic. It's all in this book, A Dream Derailed. I hope you'll get it. It's available now, and you can order it direct and learn more at adreamderailed.com. And for regular culture war updates and information about the Coalition of African American Pastors, visit their website. Now, you're going to want to stick around because we've got another great guest coming up. So, Keith, why don't you tell us what else is coming? Well, up next, America's Got Talent star Mandy Harvey is on Huckabee. Next week, with Representative Chuck Fleshman and 
country music star Lucas Holt. And welcome back. Mandy Harvey is a power vocalist to be reckoned with. In 2017, she became a national figure on NBC's America's Got Talent. And she earned the golden buzzer from Simon Cowell. He doesn't do that very often. To impress him is something. Well, her brand new single released this weekend. It's a song that she wrote about embracing all of who you are, including the broken pieces. This is especially significant because Mandy lost her hearing when she was 18 years old. She joins me now with her sign language translator, Robin. Would you please welcome the lovely Mandy Harvey. <laughs> Mandy, I am so honored to have you here with me tonight and thank you for coming and we're so glad to have Robin as well. Oh, stop, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is well, so fun for me. Well, I'm amazed your story, so many people who have dreamed of doing music, they can't imagine doing it without the ability to hear. Yeah. Uh, you lost your hearing when you were a teenager. Yeah. Um, but you didn't give up your dream to do music. Well, I did initially, like at a very first, you know, I think anytime you have a huge life change and something like just smacks you right in the face, um, there was a period of time where I had to like step back and reanalyze my life, but also the world was very much in that mindset of if you are broken or if you are different or you can't hear, then you can't do this or you can't do that. And so I kind of believed the stories were true until I figured out that the only person who knows who I am is me. Hmm. And so stop telling me what my limitations are. Let me show you what I'm actually capable of. I think some of us... Beautiful. Some of us are amazed that you would be able to sing on pitch when you yeah. can't hear the notes. So describe for us how you're able to sing on pitch, which you obviously do, uh, and to keep the beat when you can't hear it. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work. I think uh, at the, the cornerstone of it all, I'm a musician, hmm. period. And so hearing or deaf musician stays. And so as a musician, as a person who's kind of obsessed with figuring it out, I have created systems that work for me. So one of the things that I started with was using a visual tuner so you can actually like hum or make noise into it and see what you're creating. And then I would transition that into trying to find new ways so I'd feel on the vibrations of the sound that I was making. And then as the notes change, you can feel the vibrations move. And so truly, I think the biggest barrier for the whole process was learning to trust myself because the muscle is there. It's a muscle. You train it, you work it out. And I've had 18 years prior of hard study and work yeah. that I, I knew was there. And as far as like maintaining pitch, there's, there is a part of it of born natural ability does, does help, but I work hours and hours endlessly every day and have since I was like four. So. Were you afraid the first time you tried to sing knowing that you couldn't hear it and you were depending on the tuner? to see what those notes were. I, I can't even imagine that. You know, it, it's the weirdest thing. I think it actually gave me the biggest freedom 
because hmm. you know losing my hearing was my biggest fear. That happened. So at one point, you just start to think, well, what's the worst that can happen at this point? Everything is already gone. So if I mess up at this point, who cares? <laughs> you know, um, it's given me an incredible freedom to be able to sing without being able to judge myself. And yes, I might make a mistake or sing something not exactly perfect, but at the same time, I'm not going to hear it. So I'm not going to be able to criticize it to death and then cripple myself to say that it's not good enough. I get to work hard and I work hard daily and then at some point just let go and say, I've done the work. If it happens, if it's successful, fantastic. If I make a mistake, I'm human and I tried. What a beautiful way to live life, not just for singing, but for living. You know, Mandy, one of the things that was surprising to me, not everyone in the deaf community embraced your ability to sing and to continue to be vocal. Uh, I was sort of stunned to find out that there were some people that were very angry at you and even uh, sent you nasty letters. Yeah. That must have hurt when people didn't appreciate how hard you were working to be well, able to continue your dream. I think I'm in... As a person who's connected with politics, you know that you can't please everybody. And yes. sometimes the people with the loudest voices are the smallest groups of people. Mm. And so I was genuinely loved by a lot of people. There's always gonna be somebody that you, you know, hack <laughs> off, you know? But um, it's, it gave me a decision to make. I either allow those voices to prevent me from pursuing my dream or I say, okay, there's reasons for that pain to exist. I want to learn more about why they feel that way so that I can improve my understanding of that hurt that's mm. there, but at the same time, move forward with what I'm gonna do anyway. So embrace and then hopefully find a compromise or just let them know that I actually care and still pursue my dream. Andy, I, I wanna say this to you before you sing for us. You are a beautiful person, inside and out, and you inspire us all. I am so grateful. Well, thank you. Just grateful for you. I'll, I'll give that thanks right back to my parents. So it's like uh, for both well, of it. Let me tell our audience, Manny Harvey's song, Masterpiece, it's available everywhere music is sold and streamed. You can find all of her music and her inspirational story at Mandy Harvey Music. Dot com On your screen, write it down and order it. Because in a moment, Mandy's going to sing her new song, Masterpiece. Please stay with us. Now, here to perform with Trey Corley in the Music City Connection, is Mandy Harvey.
Resistance, all lit up, light it. 